0: With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
1: Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential.
0: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is The James Altucher Show. Today on The James Altucher Show. Are you the hero in your own story? The arc of the hero is a structure for storytelling that has existed for thousands of years. The Bible has it, the Bhagavad Gita in... in Hinduism has it, Star Wars has it, Harry Potter has it, and your life has it. But what's really interesting, and I talk with Jason Pfeiffer, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, I talk with Jason Pfeiffer about how even careers and negotiations and sales and podcast, everything has the arc of the hero in it. We took a look at it from more of a business context, how it can be used to solve problems, start businesses, how it can become a part of your thinking that The arc of the hero is your business following that structure. There's a problem. does a negotiation with your boss have that structure. So such a valuable point to take these really general principles and apply them to the specifics in your life to make your life better. Plus, as always, when I do a podcast with a good friend, we have stories, we update. I almost always update with friends now only on the podcast. Like when you're hearing me talk to Jason, he's a good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. The only time we update is when we're sharing our updates with everybody. And we're always talking about the latest ideas he's working on or that I'm working on. I learned a lot in this podcast. I hope you will as well. There's so much job uncertainty in the pandemic. Maybe people don't want to make job commitments. It's a good question. We're going to find out. I mean, so far...
2: I have pinged my entire network and I've come up empty-handed. Whereas in the past, I pinged my network and I have a treasure trove of people to check out. And now I got nothing. And part of that is perhaps whatever has happened during the pandemic. I think another part of it is just media. A lot of people have left because people, they get laid off or they just Decide not to deal with the uncertainty of media anymore. And they discover this thing that I always tell my friends when they're deciding whether or not to stay in media, which is I say, your market value is bigger outside of this industry than in. Like you're holding on to an abusive relationship, a relationship where you feel like you need this and you've been in it so long and they're not going to treat you that well and they know that you'll stick around because you feel like you need it. But you know what? If you just decide, that it's time for a bit of an identity shift and you're okay not working at some cool brand and writing stories and instead going off and doing something else, of which there are many other cool things in the world to do, then go. Go. Like, don't stick around in some place that doesn't pay you well and like gives you crappy hours just because it's, yeah. it's your identity, just because it's been your
0: identity for a while. like That is not a reason to stay somewhere. Yeah, because here's the thing. I think we had all these false hierarchies that got wiped away in the economic lockdowns. Like we realize, Oh, I don't need to have this title at mm-hmm. this job in order to feel validated. And I think for a long time, like you, 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 I'm not saying a company is like a religion, but like when I was in a corporation, a big, mu- very big corporation, you really do feel that the, the company culture overrides everything else and your move movements up and down in that hierarchy are yeah. such big, large dopamine hits that you get addicted to that and you, Mm -hmm. and the thought of leaving becomes incomprehensible. But when you, when you're forced to stay at home for 10 months because of the economic lockdowns, the hierarchies are sort of wiped away and you realize, oh, what was I doing there? That's not really for me. Yeah. That's a really great point. You know, it's funny. I was just, I was just a couple days
2: ago talking to Stacey London. She was the host of this show for a very long time called What Not to Wear Anybody who cares about style in television will know who she is. Point is, she had wanted to do a show about the experience of becoming middle aged because that's that she's fifty one now. She went through menopause, which was a whole process, and you know, and so she wanted to make a show about this, and she could not find anybody to make this show with her. Like every network shot her down. And so she went through a real existential crisis because she was thinking of herself for, for so long as a television personality, a person who makes television, who goes and now she doesn't seem to have that ability anymore. And then what are you? It's a real terrible thing. You become so immersed in wherever you are and whatever you surround yourself with that you start to define yourself and your self-worth by your membership to that club. and. Yeah eventually, Stacy started working with this as a beta tester with this company called State of Menopause. And then the parent company, State of Menopause, wanted to offload it and came to her and was like, hey, do you want to own and be the CEO of this brand? And at first, Stacey was like, I don't know how to do that. But then she thought about it and she realized this was a moment and an opportunity to redefine who she was. And she had spent so long telling people this line, which I really love, which is, you have to let go of who you were to become who you are. And Mm. she thought, I have said that to so many people. Now is my time to do that. Like Just because she was a quote unquote television personality for 15 years does not mean that she can't have another act and do something else. She's got so much life to live. And so she did it. And now she's the
0: CEO of this company. Well, now let me ask you, what do you feel you really want to do? I mean, obviously, I, I think you have really enjoyable stuff to do and you have, you have you kind of make your own show at being the editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. But if you could do something else, what would it be? Like, what are your passions? Well, it's a great question.
2: I mean, have I told you my theory of work your next job? I don't know if I have. I'll tell no. you. So work your next job goes like this. In front of you, me, everybody, everybody listening, Right now, there are two sets of opportunities. Opportunity set A, opportunity set B. Opportunity set A is everything that is asked of you. Show up at work, your boss demands certain things, you have KPIs, everything that you are measured by, that is opportunity set A. Go do a good job. What's a KPI? Key performance indicator. Okay. I right, mean, just break it down. What are the things that your performance are, is measured by? Those are your KPIs. So that's opportunity set A. Opportunity set B is everything that is available to you that nobody is asking you to do. And that can be at your job, but that can be in other things too. For example, for me, one of the things that I did was I taught myself how to podcast. Nobody asked me to do that. I just did it. Why? It was available to me. How was it available to me? Because I felt like I could do it and a microphone is very cheap. That's how it was available to me. But there were other ways where, for example, when I was at Fast Company, I was an editor of Fast Company for many years. They started a video department while I was there. I was on the print magazine team, started a video department. Nobody asked me to join the video department, but I felt like if I can get good on camera, there are probably lots of other opportunities that will come out of it. And so, though nobody asked me to do this, I went and I did it. And I started a couple couple series on video and I got really good at video. And I have found throughout my career that focusing on opportunity set B, the thing that nobody is asking you to do, but that is available to you, is always more important than opportunity set A. Because opportunity set A
0: will only prepare you to do the things that you are already doing. This is such great advice because particularly, everybody now needs a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, maybe up to plan E minimum. Yes, right, (laughs) You know, and, and some of that is horizontal, like, okay, I'm a doctor, but I also want to be an accountant, you know, I'm making that up, but like, that's totally horizontal. And some of it's vertical. Like I want to be a programmer, a computer programmer. And I also want to uh, be the CEO of a software company, or maybe I want to be an entrepreneur of a software company, or maybe I want to be Mm -hmm. a venture capitalist of software companies. Like, so you need vertical plans and you need horizontal plans. That's right. And the beauty of focusing on
2: Opportunity Set B is that you're building the skill sets for those future opportunities. You may yeah. not even know what they are, right? I, I really I strongly advise that if you are going to pursue something in opportunity set B, don't obsess over what the ROI is on it, the return on investment. Don't obsess with yes. how you're going to cash in on this. Just do it. Because I, I mean, I'll tell you, you know, I use that example as a for podcast. I have this podcast called Build for Tomorrow. I started it four years ago. It took years and years for me to figure out what the hell that thing was for. Because I'll tell you what it's not for, it's not for like retirement like I'm not making bazillions of dollars on that podcast but you know what it did first of all it created all sorts of new connections for me because these very yes. impressive people started reaching out and then also I just sold a book for a lot of money based on that podcast and so I've started to see the podcast as like an IP factory and also also there's these also intangible things like for example because I built that podcast and became comfortable on mic You and I get to have this conversation on your show. If I sucked on microphone, you guys wouldn't reach out to have me on your show. It would be a terrible episode. But because I have taught myself how to do this, it creates these opportunities that I couldn't have anticipated.
0: Yeah, you know, because in a weird way, podcasters also are the best guests because we have so much experience with what guests are good. What are the best guests? So we we know what to do. And also there's something I write about in my book, skip the line called the spoken wheel approach. So you have an interest and then there's various spokes. A podcast Mm -hmm. is a spoke for instance, because of the podcast, you got a book deal. A book deal is a spoke because of the, the podcast you go on other podcasts. You're able to promote whatever it is. Like Mm -hmm. maybe later when you promote your book, you'll go on a bunch of podcasts. So that's another spoke. Another thing like John Lee Dumas, for instance, has a podcast and he has a, you know, a community on Facebook called podcasters paradise, which I believe he charges $2,000 to join. And there's thousands of members. Like he actually did make good money because of his podcast, or you can make a course on podcast, or you could, Mm -hmm. you could take collections every few months. You could take collections of your interviews. And if they're about a specific topic, you have another book you could self publish like, or you could start coaching because people start knowing who you are, because there's so many different spokes. Like, you know, around entrepreneurship that's relating to, related to podcasting or, or other things that you do. Like, you know, you also have a spoke where you're editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. And Mm -hmm. uh, so on and on, like you have to come up with many spokes to have a career now.
2: Yeah, that's absolutely right. And so you just have to keep building. Just keep doing it. Are you interested in something? Are you curious? Don't wait for somebody to give you permission. Don't wait for you to know how to do it perfectly. You won't know how to do it perfectly. I was just talking to Ryan Reynolds. I mean, not to like, that's a real obnoxious name drop, but whatever. He was on the cover of the magazine and I did the interview. And uh, And one of the things that he said to me, which I love, we were talking about transitioning into different. Different things that you don't you don't know before, right? Like Ryan is an actor, but then he now has he owns a couple of companies, Aviation Gym. Yeah, he's really mobile. into
0: entrepreneurship.
2: Oh yeah. And he has this, he has this amazing marketing company called Maximum Effort. Anyway, he said that, I love this line. I wrote this down as soon as he said it. He said, You can't get good at something unless you're willing to be bad. And that's true, right? So Ryan doesn't Ryan doesn't know how to like run companies, but he he decided to be bad at at it first as a way to get good at it, and that's you know I, that that's the way it is. Well, you just talked about the podcasting stuff. I mean, I I was terrible as a podcaster at first. I listened back to those first episodes. I, it's excruciating, but I had to do that. I had to get through that in order to get to the place where I felt really competent. And that, and then I add the spoke, and I don't know what it's for. And right now, I know I know a little bit of what it's for. It's made these connections. It got me the book, whatever, whatever. But like. I'm thinking that if I keep going in another five years, the reason that I did a podcast will have totally changed. It will create all sorts of new opportunities. And that's really exciting. It just means you just got to keep going.
0: Yeah, definitely like the shape of career is going to be interesting going forward. Like people are going to have to start thinking this way that it's not just rising up in the job. It's creating these additional skills and opportunities. That's very good advice. And Mm. so, so on Clubhouse the other day, you were talking about, best practices for pitching ideas, for negotiating, and you're connecting it all in this interesting way to the hero's journey. And I wanted to yeah. talk about that. So so yeah. the hero's journey, of course, is this structure of every single story on- You've ever heard. Yeah, you ever heard. I'm reading, I'm reading a beautiful book right now. It's a novel, it's called The Girl with the Louding Voice. And it's a girl, about a 14-year-old girl in Nigeria who goes through all sorts of hardships. I won't make any spoilers, but it has the same structure a reluctant hero, gets a call to action that can't be ignored, you know, starts to go on the journey, the journey of the hero, Mm -hmm. has increasingly difficult problems, and along the way meets both compatriots who help her or him and, you know, potential enemies at each layer of problem until finally the biggest problem of all happens it somehow gets resolved with the help of these, you know, friends she's developed along the way and and mentors and so on. And then she comes back to tell the tale. And right. that's roughly, you know, and we can fit that into Star Wars, the Bible, this book I'm reading, Harry Potter. You could fit it into, if you want to write a novel, think in terms of the arc of the hero and there, there's lots more to it. I, I kind of give the the broad strokes. I'll boil it down even further for, okay. for somebody. The Hero's journey is three steps.
2: Step one, hero sets out to do something. Step two, there is a setback. Step three, hero overcomes.
0: That's it. That's every story. Right there. (laughs) That's the whole thing I'm gonna just throw in that the fact that the hero is reluctant in the beginning, or there's some problem that prevents the hero from going on the adventure. So in Star Wars, Luke's uncle didn't want him to leave the planet. In the Bible, it took a while for Jesus to be baptized and he had his 40 days in the desert. He was a little he was a little um, I don't want to say scared, but he was a he needed more instruction from from god to sure set forth uh in harry potter you know the guy was harry potter was like basically abused by his family and and you know that kind of makes you reluctant almost automatically like you're afraid to kind of step out mm-hmm. uh and and on and on so i'll, I'll right. add that and i never really so, understood this the final part which is to come back to tell the tale but i guess when you hear the tale it's someone's telling it so uh, Somebody, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> right. Um, right, And so people
2: may be listening to this and they're wondering, well, what the hell does this have to do with careers or anything? And the answer is that we have to be the best tellers of our own story. Nobody else will tell our story for us or certainly nobody will tell it better than we can. And I think that at all times, whether we are applying for a job, whether we are trying to build relationships, whether we are trying to Convince people or earn their trust, whatever it is, we we have to we do that through story, and we get people to understand us through story. And this is a one very simple, straightforward way in which this happens, which is that people will pitch me their story for coverage or whatever. Right, like that's one way in which somebody is very literally trying to tell their story. But I hear it in so many other ways too. Here's the problem that entrepreneurs, and everybody, I I mean, I should broaden this out. I mean, entrepreneurs do this, but everybody does this. Everybody does this. And that is that instead of telling their story as a hero's journey, I set out to do something, there was a setback, I overcame. Instead, they try to skip step two. And they just tell this story. I set out to do something, I succeeded. Step one, step three. You skip step two. And I understand why they do that. They do that because they feel like step two is vulnerable and shows their weaknesses. And if you're going out and meeting people, maybe you don't want to lead with your weaknesses and your mistakes. You don't want to introduce the idea to them that something about you might not be perfect. But I am here to tell you, and I mean, James, you live and breathe this because of the amount of openness that you have about your own journey and your many setbacks. People relate most to part two. Like, in fact, part two is the only part that is actually broadly relatable because most people are not going to set out to do what you tried to do. That's step one. And most people will not have succeeded in the way that you did that step three. But everybody will have had some kind of setback. Everybody has some emotional journey, something that didn't go right. And that's the part where they can connect with you. And if you leave that part out, you are literally killing the on-ramp to yourself. You are shutting people out of you and your story. And that's how you lose people. That's how certainly people lose my
0: interest, and I see it happen all the time. Yeah, you know, and, and unpacking that, it reminds me of the Ryan Reynolds quote that anything worth doing is gonna be difficult. You're gonna fail. there's going to be setbacks. You know, I always tell people, if I just wanted to be happy, I would watch TV all day. I love television. (laughs) There's great stories on television. There's thousands of hours of TV that looks great that I haven't watched, but it's not, people think, oh, you gotta be happy all the time. Do what you love. If you do what you love, you're gonna be miserable about 50% of the time. Let's say, (laughs) and I always say, as an example, let's say you love tennis okay, when you're a kid, you're rising up and you'll beat everybody, but then at some point you reach the level your level in competition, you're gonna start losing a lot and it's gonna feel really bad. And, and because you're competitive, because you're gonna ev- eventually maybe be a great tennis player, you're gonna hate losing so much that it's gonna drive you to wake up at four in the morning and start working out and get a coach and take lessons and and you're still going to lose and you're going to be like how can <laughs> I be losing after all these lessons but now you're playing in tournaments and compete. it's going to be miserable 50% of the time even mm-hmm. when you're number one there's always guys who are number two trying to take you down and people hate you because you're beating their favorite tennis player and on and on and on it never is just a happy thing to do something that's worth doing and not, and then the added part is if something's worth doing, a lot of people want to do it. So it's also very competitive and right. it's hard. So this, this goes along with, you know, if, if, so, if someone's telling a story and they're like, oh, I set out to do tennis and I became the number one tennis player in the world. The other thing people are missing, not only are they missing the vulnerability where you, where you fail and fail and fail and here's how you rise up and bounce back and so on, but they just naturally don't believe it. <laughs> Because it's yes. never been true for anybody ever, <laughs> and, and and so I think it's just like virtual reality. Virtual reality is still at the point when you go into virtual reality, and you and no matter how good your avatars and scenery around you is rendered, you still feel ill after like a half hour or so because your brain knows it's not real, and your brain's like, "Wait, wait a second, this is not the real world. What are we doing here? Get me the hell out of here!" Right, <laughs> and, and and so you you your brain like you you start to get a headache, and you feel maybe a little nauseous, and. Because virtual is not across. I forgot what it's called. Like uncanny valley. Uncanny, uncanny valley. Yeah, yeah. We still haven't crossed that. It's the exact same principle. If you say, "Oh yeah, I started playing tennis and now," or "I I was a salesperson and I I right away I was the number one salesperson in the planet," uh, it, you're in an uncanny valley. Like people can't connect, can't cross that valley to connect with right. you,
1: and so that's it feels weird.
2: That's a very interesting. I've never thought about a different way of looking at the uncanny valley like that. So, so for, for people who can't like picture the uncanny valley, I mean, the, the uncanny valley is, is it's when something looks real. I mean, there's probably a broader definition of it, but where it's often used is in describing, for example, what, what a movie or video game looks like when people were animating human figures but it didn't look quite human. It looked like pretty close. So it was, it was more realistic than a cartoon, but not so realistic that it was an actual human. And so it exists in this weird, uncanny valley. And so if you saw that that Tom Hanks Christmas movie, uh there, there was there was a train, I can't oh, remember yeah, what it yeah. was, it was a couple what, years ago. Uh, yeah. Oh my God. I mean, that thing gives me nightmares that I saw that so uh because because it was almost real but not real enough and so the characters just look kind of like undead and the, but you you make an interesting point about how there can be entire experiences that are like the uncanny valley when when something something sounds almost true but it can't be fully true you don't i don't feel like i can trust the person who's telling me or guiding me into this this story you're right if somebody comes to you and says let me tell you my story. I set out to do this amazing thing and now I did it and it's fantastic. You're like, that's not how it works. I just, I know that's not how it works. I mean, maybe there is somebody in the world for whom that works. I don't know. Did LeBron James have a lot of setbacks? I don't, I'm not sure. But, but most people, that's not it. That's not it. And so, if that's the story that you're going to tell, you're creating an environment in which people know something is missing. And the last thing that you want when you are telling your own story is for it to feel like you're holding something back. That you are hiding something because that's, yeah. that's when nobody trusts you.
0: And look, and this is, this is related to negotiation. This is related to sales. Like, you know, for instance, if you say, look, if you do this strategy, you're going to make a million dollars. That's like step one and step three, you're, you're, you're leaving out. Step two, step two in in, in persuasion might mean answering the objections like, uh, you know, no strategy works perfectly forever. So what you have to address that or else they're going to think it, it rather than you. So part of the yeah. uncanny valley is your brain is going to fill in the gaps and it's going to do it unpleasantly. So it's better for mm. you to control the the narrative. The other thing is, is that, and I had this conversation with Robert Cialdini, you know, one of the points of influence and persuasion that he brings up in his book is that you have to create a feeling of scarcity. But I hate when people say, you know, particularly when it's a digital product, like you know, buy my blah 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 now, because there's only three days we we're running out of God hate that, yeah, because it's it's digital. You never run out. And <laughs> he made a really great point, which is you know how you make something like that scarcity is you t- explain why you're unique while your thing is unique, and that's scarce. Your uniqueness mm. is scarce. and so i I still don't know quite how to translate that to sales, but I thought that was a beautiful concept that it is true your story is unique but you have to be able to express that uniqueness in an authentic way and step two in this your setbacks is is a your setbacks are you're like your fingerprint trying to be great at tennis and succeeding at tennis that's not a fingerprint because many people have done it but your unique your setbacks themselves what kept you from being the top that's a fingerprint that's unique.
2: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I mean, so what you, I mean, as you're searching for how to how to lock that into into like sales and 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 negotiation and all that is, I I think well one of the things that I always think about is how you can't ask for an opportunity; you have to be the opportunity. So hmm. the more that you come to somebody with a very clear understanding of how you are the perfect opportunity for them, then. The what the scarcity is that you might walk away. You might be too busy, or you they might say no to the right opportunity, and then they're left with nothing. So the more I mean I hate when people come to me and they ask me for an opportunity. Can can you promote my whatever? Can you can I can I be on your podcast so that I can tell people about my new book? Like that's don't ask for it. I'm not handing out opportunities here, right? Like this isn't this isn't charity. But if you can be an opportunity, if you come to me and you tell me exactly how you are valuable to my audience, all the great wisdom that you have, that I I would be a fool if I didn't share this with my audience. I mean, don't say it like that because that sounds obnoxious. But you know, that's the idea. Then, then suddenly I I I want it. I need it. It's a great opportunity, and I want to and I want to share it. The, I I feel like people really they're so focused on what they want out of a transaction that they forget that the other side also wants something for themselves. And so the real hack here is to anticipate that whoever you're reaching out to is primarily interested in what they can get. And so if you can be value forward for them and show that you are an opportunity to them, well, then you might get what you want too.
0: And, and this is a big lesson we learn as podcasters, by the way. If I just reach out to somebody and say... Hey, um, I don't know Barack Obama. It would be great <laughs> if you. Came, it would be great for me if you came on my podcast. <laughs> he won't even his. He won't even respond. You have to you, always with a guest, particularly a, a, a big guest. You have to really pitch why it's good for them, or else they don't even open the email. You have to even in the subject line say it. And a lot of here, this is related to a lot of times people write me and say, "Listen, I, I'd love to help you out with anything. If you ever need anything, let me know." I really don't. I mean, I appreciate getting those emails. I understand why they're doing it, but I always say as advice, I'm never going to say yes to to anything you just suggested because you just gave me a homework assignment. Now I got to think of something I need you to do. Like, I don't even know you. Now I have homework from you. So. That's so funny that you say that. I'm trying to find. I get that. I
2: get that message all the time, and I literally just got it. I just had an interesting exchange about it on on, uh, Instagram DM. Oh, here it is. Okay, so I'm just gonna read it to you. Maybe we could break this down. Um, Okay, so this is a person who I don't know. This person, you know, I I, I get these messages all the time, just like you do, Jason. Love what you're doing. Blah blah blah. If you're following you for so long, I feel like I need to ask how I can help. What is your biggest struggle that you are facing in business or with your personal brand? And how might I help you not selling? Just want to give back in any way I can keep up the great work. Okay. So like, let's step back because this is, this is a multi-part multi-parter. So what you said there is, is, is right. Like I, that's homework for me. It's, it's, he's coming with the great intentions. He's coming with yes. like literally
0: what I just said. He's right. like, so I, I, you I can't criticize too much. I appreciate no. someone who's doing that. Yes.
2: So appreciate it's a really nice, it's a nice idea. And he is, he has, he has internalized, don't ask for an opportunity, be the opportunity. He's he's coming to me with it. But there's a but there's a, a weird challenge here, which is that I don't know anything about this person. And to answer this question properly, first I have to like sit and think about what my challenges are. I don't know. Do people have just like at the top of their head, like this is my number one challenge. I don't know. I don't have that. And so, uh, which isn't to say I don't have challenges. I have a bazillion challenges, but I just don't know. I don't have like one sitting around that I can point to and be like, it's that. And, And then I don't know what this person does. So I have to spend some time getting to know what this person has to offer so that i could perhaps come up with something that i need and then i also have to kind of research and see if this person is trustworthy or whatever there's just a lot so i anyway i, I mean well first of all before i read my response do you have any anything else to add to that
0: yeah yeah so so you know he, this person knows like he knows you very well right he he, he claims he's, he's work, read your yes. stuff he maybe he's listened to your podcast he knows your career so a couple of other things he should already know what problems you might have Right. Mm-hmm. He can, he can pick several categories. Okay. He's read the last five issues. So th- there's several main things you would do. I would say like, if I was going to try to contact you and I'm a young person, first off you're in charge of entrepreneur magazine. So I can give, so I can create, I can find problems that you might be having at entrepreneur magazine and say, look, if you do this, this, and this, I bet you, I, I first off I would start look, I I follow your career. This article, this article, this article helped me out when I was going through hard times. This article helped me with my entrepreneurial venture. And I really want to pay it forward back to you. I really appreciate your career entrepreneur magazine. I noticed you've stopped doing this kind of XYZ article. Here's a quick way you can quickly ramp that up again, blah, blah, blah. No need to respond. The other thing he could do is, so that's that's one category is the magazine. Yeah. The other is your specific articles. He could say, look, here's 10 types of articles that seem like your style that I would love it, and I know a lot of other people would love it if you would write, and it seems like a perfect fit for you, and it covers your background. So he shows you, understands your hmm. background. Then, podcast. He's like, oh, you're doing this, this, and this is a podcast. I feel like, you know, you do a great job, and I really was influenced by this, this, this. Perhaps you could do cover this topic, or maybe um, – you could ask a kind of common question to each, you know, I would, I would want to know this from each one of your guests, like, you know, what, what were they like as a baby or whatever? I don't know, (laughs) you know, but he should, he should offer you solutions and not have any expectations of response. That's, that's how I break it down a little further, particularly since he claims he knows you and you, and he likes you enough. So somehow you've inspired him. I'd want to know why and, and then what he was going through that he needed the inspiration. And then I want, but as you're saying, you know, he needs to fill in the gap and be the opportunity. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or, or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's gonna be an Airbnb while I'm away, and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire.
1: At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu
2: a big part of why the kind of stuff that you just laid out could work really well is because there are, there's actually two things happening at the same time when some, when somebody reaches out in the way that you just described, which is that number one, they, they're providing some kind of value, which is great, but also at the same time they're showing how they think, right? Which is, which is different mm. from telling how they think, right? I, yeah. I, I never I thought of it out. that way. Yeah. Like I could reach out to you if I, you know, if I was reaching out to you and I didn't know you and I wanted to, to you know, kind of get into your world, I could I guess I could say, hi James, uh, I'm a really energetic guy and I and I'm really smart and I think fast and I can write well and maybe there's some way you can use me and hear a bunch of ideas. So that, that's that's one way. But the more that I share my work, the more I am showing you how I think. and you can get a sense of me and what it is that I have to offer in a way better way than I could ever just deliver by like describing to you how I think.
0: Yeah. And and the specificity is kind of important. Like if I just say, Hey, Jason, it's great. Uh, Entrepreneur Magazine's great, but I feel like your articles are going down in quality. If you, you should make them higher in quality. (laughs) Like (laughs) that is too broad. Like should, you know, and also the wrong way to deliver it, obviously. But, um, uh, I would say this, this one concept and idea that we're talking about has made me so has created so many opportunities in my life, starting from 1989 to even just this past year. It's like always, it's like opportunity 101. It's the fundamentals of creating opportunities for yourself. And yeah. I, it, magic happens when you do this, by the way. Like it's incredible how many opportunities I've had because of this, even in the past month and mm-hmm. also in 1989 and all throughout. And anytime right. I didn't do this ever, cause I have written art letters like that guy you just wrote. I get zero response when I use that "quote unquote" technique.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and I've had so I want to I want to read you the rest of the the um, the the text exchange or the DM exchange, but but let me tell you that there's somebody has done this. A bunch of people have done this to like somewhat good effect when they've reached out to me. But the person who's been most successful is this guy named uh, To shout out Adam Sokolich. So Adam Sokolich reached out to me years ago on like LinkedIn or something. It's just a guy in Virginia. I didn't know who he was, and and he said he he had this. Story about how he had he, inspired by something he heard about giving back. He he had assembled this group of college students who wanted experience, um, kind of helping out with tasks with with important. And, 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 busy people. And he was going to facilitate this. And if there was something that I could, if something that I needed done, and then he like listed off a whole bunch of things, right? So that it wasn't just this kind of open-ended thing. Um, and he had familiarized my, himself with my work, uh, um, research on, you know, this podcast or something, 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 I, there were like a bunch of them. Um, he's like, I, 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 I will facilitate it and I will get this work back to you, uh, within a week. And at first, this was such a strange. I've never gotten a request like this. But as it happened, I did have a bunch of research that I needed done for the podcast. And I thought, well, I, I mean, it can't hurt to tell this guy to do it because if it doesn't come back, it's fine. I'll just do it myself. and um, and I did. and it it, it came back very good. And so then I used it again, and I, and, and I used him a number of other times. and um, and then we fell out of touch a little bit. And then he reached out at the beginning of the pandemic with this idea. To put together a living and breathing, like an ever-expanding list of every free thing that a company was offering people because of the pandemic. Do you remember the very beginning, yeah. the early days? Like every company was like, Yeah, four what free months idea. of whatever, sir. Right. Such a great idea. And, and, and I at this point I knew most people reach out to me about writing for entrepreneur.com all the time. And I usually ignore them because it's just too much. And I don't know if they're I don't know what it's gonna be like to work with them. It's a hassle. But this guy had turned this stuff around really fast and so I said, sure. And so he did it and he was great. and He was like on the ball and we updated it like five times. And then a little while later, I was thinking about hiring an assistant and I went to him and I was like, hey, do you know anybody who would be good? You worked, you worked with those college students or whatever. And he was like, well, why don't you just hire me? And I was like, oh, oh. And anyway, now Adam's my assistant. And, wow. uh, and like, th- it's great. And I, he's fantastic. He, he just texted me about something d- d- 10 minutes ago while we were talking. And so um, that all came out of this cockamamie thing that he reached out to me. And I actually haven't asked him directly. I should ask him. I think that the college student thing was a lie. I think he was just doing the work, but it would have sounded too weird for him to just so he like made up this college. I don't know what was happening. But whatever it was, he had played it so perfectly that he built trust among a sea of people reaching out to me about random stuff and now I'm in touch with him every day and I pay him money
0: and it's fantastic. This is kind of the basis and part of why I write 10 ideas a day down, because sometimes I'll think to myself, okay, my idealist for the day is 10 ideas for Jason at entrepreneur magazine mm-hmm. and sending them out to people. And that often builds these kind of connections. Cause you're saying something specific. Someone reached out to me recently and said, Hey, I, I know you like hip hop music. You have rappers on your podcast and you know, your, your podcast song has been around for five or six years now. Can I make a new song hip hop style for you? I'll do it and show you two or three options in like a few days. And he did it. And mm-hmm. I, I haven't even listened to them yet, but cause <laughs> I, I, but I told him, yeah, that sounds great. Cause I actually yeah. responded and he did. So things like that work and mm-hmm it might have even be better for him if he just had sent me the songs without asking for him to do it but it's the same thing But he asked that's good yeah you know,
2: you know what i think that like the, the the word that i think people think is great in these kinds of situations which i actually think is death is the word collaboration
0: oh yeah because hate this, it
2: hate it hate it
0: i I'm mean, already, I don't hate i'm already busy yeah <laughs> Right.
2: People, I mean, I, I like collaborating with people, but when people reach out out of nowhere and they're basically like, I would love to collaborate with you. I don't know what that means. I don't know what you bring to the table, but it doesn't sound like something that I have the time for. And, and, and that's right. That's the difference between somebody reaching out and being like, Hey, I'm a musician. I would love to collaborate with you. At which point you're like, I don't have time for that. But somebody who says I'm a musician and I know I know all these things about you and your work because I'm a fan of the show. And here's a very specific thing that I can do. And literally the only thing you have to do is say yes and I'll do it. Well, now you know exactly how it fits into your life and you know that it's not going to take a lot of your time. And that's a far easier. Yes.
0: So look, this is a form of negotiation, right? You're negotiating a relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. and what what the status of this relationship will be the status could be zero or it could be like hey we're going to work together forever like this guy adam could be working with you forever yeah um so 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 let's let's break this out into the arc of the the hero the journey of the hero because i think there's ideas from the structure of the hero's journey that could make a negotiation like this a letter like this um much more powerful if you formalize it using this approach so what's what's happening here? Like b- maybe break it down for me. I'm outsourcing it to you.
2: <laughs> oh, the, oh, oh, that's why I wasn't prepared for that. So wait. We're, we we want to break down the steps of the proper outreach so that you build trust and get to some kind of early yes. Is that
0: what we're yeah, saying here? Yeah. And so 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 I feel like the 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 in in the failed letters like this, there's a step 1 and a step 3 and they're missing a step 2. So oh, step yeah, 1 okay. step 1 is okay. I admire you and and one more Step step 3 is let me know anything at all that I could help you with. And, right. and 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 then they end up helping, But somehow there's a step right. 2 missing, which is like they should they should actually they're telling ah, here it is. They're telling yeah. your story. It's, You're reluctant mm. You're the reluctant hero. You're reluctant to hire them. Like, you know, I admire you, you're a hero. I admire you, blah, blah, blah. But I know you're a busy guy, blah, blah, blah. So so you're the reluctant hero. And then the call to action is they want you to hire them, but you have setbacks and they need to solve, they need to actually tell what your story will look like with them as one of your compatriots through the story. So here it is, right. Now I get it, totally. You're totally
2: right. The answer is that you have to do the work for them. Like That's what's missing, is that you have to do the work for them. So in step two, there is some kind of, there, there's some kind of setback. We are all set back in some way, right? I, I am set back. Here's one of my major setbacks, time. I do not have enough of it. I'm constantly set back every day because I do not have enough time. So one of the things that Adam was able to provide me was time. He takes things off of my plate. He does them. That gives me time and 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 uh, and it's it's one thing to come up and just say like hey i can do things for you but to be very specific to understand the kinds of things that i might not have the time for and then to volunteer very easy solutions where i have to basically do nothing and i will get time free time that's that's unbelievable, right? That's really powerful. So in contrast to that, because I, I think 25 minutes ago, promised that I would get to the end of this DM. Let, I will just read you the rest and then we can, because I think it fits into what you're asking here. So, okay, so I, here's, here's what I wrote, word for word. I'm just reading straight from my Instagram DMs. Hey, I appreciate it. So again, remember this guy is just like, what what can I do for you? What's the biggest struggle? That you? I wrote, hey, I appreciate that. Uh, and then I saw her, I don't really know how to answer in part because I don't have some pressing thing that I've been waiting for someone to swoop in and help with, but also because I don't know what you offer. And he writes back and he says, Jason, it's funny and maybe not smart, <laughs> but I left that vague on purpose. Here's why. I think that we tend to think of people for the things that they do technically, technically as in quotes. As I ask you about your biggest challenge, I'm really interested in what is stopping slash slowing you from reaching the next step in your business or for yourself. It may be something I can do with my skills or maybe people I know to connect you with or just support I can offer from life experiences. I really appreciate all your insights over the years. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, um, so this is interesting, and again, I, he's coming from the right place. Really, coming from the right place, it's, it's very nice. But what's missing here is I don't know him, so I don't, I, I don't, I don't have a, tr- I don't trust him. I'm not going to like, oh well, since you asked, here are 10 paragraphs on everything that I struggle with in my like, business. Like that, I'm not going to give that to him. Um, and that's too big. I don't, know what, I don't know what kind of offloading we're talking about here. Because when Adam came to me at first, what he was asking for was something very small. Can I do one little thing for you, right? And so for that, for me, was like, can you research this random thing for this upcoming episode of the podcast? You just set, set send me a bunch of research and that's simple and easy it re- it requires me to reveal basically nothing of myself right i don't have to give him any sensitive or personal information and if it and if it doesn't go well no harm no foul i'll just do the research myself very simple low stakes and that enables me to build trust that is doing the work for me because it's it's incrementally moving me forward from the setback. Whereas what this guy is doing is asking me to possibly set myself back even further. Because the yeah. risks are risks are really high. I, I, I might share sensitive information with him and he might abuse that information. Um, I might spend a lot of time telling him a bunch of stuff and then he's not helpful to me and now I lost time. There's a lot of ways in which I lose in this transaction. So even though he's trying to do a very nice thing, he's not offering it in a way that's functionally helpful.
0: So, so did you respond to his text back?
2: Oh, I did, but I basically, I just kind of closed the loop. I just said, I just said, thanks. I appreciate it. And that was it.
0: So, so like with Adam, you know, what's very interesting is, is that in the, in the arc of the hero, the first step on the journey is rather simple. So Mm -hmm. in star, not simple, but it's simpler than the, it's more simple than, than the problems that they face later on. So star Wars is a classic example. Luke's first problem is finding a ship to take him off the planet. And so he finds Han Solo. Right. Uh, it's much, that's also was difficult. He's running and there's people are shooting at him, but that's a lot easier than saving Princess Leia from the Death Star, which is a lot easier than right. destroying the Death Star. So the problems <laughs> get bigger. So the great thing about what Adam did is that, you said he started off with something small mm-hmm. and easy. And he was going to do it all. Like, there's almost no reason for you to say yes. I mean, for, sorry, for you, sorry, no. yeah. to say no. Cause, and so again, an arc of the hero, start with something simple. Um, that, you know, with no even, it's so easy. Oh, I'm going to get free content and there's no expectations. I don't even have to respond to you if I don't want Like, boom, it's right. done. <laughs> so So, and then the next time it was more, it was harder. It was like, okay, mm-hmm. now I'm going to make a list of everything free. Uh, and I'll do it on a regular basis and then yep. I'll be your assistant. He's creating in this case, you're both kind of creating the, the arc of the hero. You're both sort of, uh, uh, you know, creating this arc and, and that's, that's a great thing. It reminds me of the persuasion technique that, um, Benjamin Franklin did, which is some state legislator hated him. And my podcast listeners have heard me tell the story, but, um, Benjamin Franklin said, can I borrow a book from you? The guy lent him a book. Benjamin Franklin returned it a week later. They chatted for a few minutes about the book. That was it. And then the guy never hated Benjamin Franklin again because his brain told him that he's, he's the type of person who lends Benjamin Franklin books. So Benjamin Franklin must be a good guy. Mm. And so, but he starts with something just really small to kind of build favor with the guy. And that was all that was needed really. And then he was able to build, and you know, later on, they were were, were collaborators.
2: Yeah. Oh, I really like that. Uh, You know, that reminds me, I'll tell you you another story of somebody who's done this really well with me in a completely different way, um, was Jeff Peterson. Shout out Jeff Peterson. Uh, It's it's like, this is nice to shout people out, then I'm going to tell them that they're on this episode. So Jeff Peterson, uh, he runs this company called Geneva Supply in Wisconsin. And he was at an event that I was speaking at. And afterwards, after the event, we're I'm like, I, I there's, you know, whatever, cocktails and um, people are coming up to me and talking. And um uh and I have no memory of this, but Jeff was just one of many random people who came up and handed me their business card. And you know, that that doesn't work, right? That never works. Handing just yes. coming over and handing some of their business card never works unless you do what Jeff Peterson did. Because I didn't know at the time, I have no memory of Jeff Peterson handing me his business card. But hours later, somebody tells me, hey, did you see the video of the guy who Facebook lived walking across the room to give you his business card? (laughs) And I said, no. And so I found it. And it starts, it's like across the room and I can see me in the far distance. And Jeff, who's this nice, goofy guy, is, uh, you know, he's like looking at the camera and he's like, over there, I spot the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine. I'm going to go give him my business card wish me luck. And then he like, he's sort of navigating this crowded room and the guy holding the camera is doing this kind of like nature documentary um, narration. Jeff has just moved past the people with the three or whatever. And like, he finally gets to me (laughs) and it's just, it's such a delight. It's so funny. And so I, um, I, I, I commented on the Facebook post or whatever it was, I did something to, to just show that I thought that this was funny. And then Jeff sent me a DM on Twitter. Just to say, hey, thanks so much. It was great meeting you, and and I responded, and now now channel is open, right? Yeah. And then and then like two months later, two three months later, Jeff is in New York for some reason, and he asks if he can come by for you know just, just, just to say hi. He's just like, I know you're busy. Take ten minutes. I just wanted to I just wanted to say hi, and uh, and I said. Fine, come to the office because I know he's not a serial killer. I already met him, sort of, and uh, and so he comes by and we chat and I and I like him and uh, and then I think he might have sent me some whiskey from from Wisconsin because he knows I like whiskey or whatever. And then anyway, and then and then maybe a year after this, he gets to his actual. He gets to an ask, and his ask is, "Will I come and speak at this?" event that he's hosting to raise money for this program he has called BizTank where he uh, it's basically it's like a career services for 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 young people in Wisconsin. And um he doesn't have that much money to pay me. He'll pay me a little bit, but because it's a charity event and it requires me flying to Wisconsin. But you know what I say, yes, I say, yes, because I like him at this point. Right. I like him. And now that has turned into, now I emcee his event every year. And, uh, and you know, it's, and we have like a really nice relationship and and it all started out again with something really small that asked absolutely nothing of me.
0: Okay. So let me see what, what else You, you talk about, I think pitching ideas, uh, like pitching a business idea, for instance, that's clearly falls under the arc of the hero. Like you basically say, here's a problem here's a problem I had, but now here's a reason why everybody has it. So it's a small problem then a bigger problem. Right. And here's a solution. And I, I, I have this, this, this to help me with the solution. So I have my compatriots to help me, um, whether it's resources or people or whatever. And now you just need money to kind of make the movie, make the business, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we talked about negotiation, uh, uh, you know, but here's a question when's an example when you've used this in a negotiation or an ask or whatever?
2: Oh, oh my gosh. I have to, I have to think of something fast. Cause, cause I, I feel example? like,
0: yeah, I, I live my life on, on this. I can I tell you an example from 1989 or I could tell you an example from the past few months or anywhere in the middle. So, hmm. uh, um, I have right now this week, well, I'll start off with the story. So, uh, and my unfortunately, my listeners have probably heard this story, but uh, uh, it's good. It's good to get a refresh. There, there was a an interview that Charlemagne the God who was a radio urban music radio yep, host, sure. ten million listeners. Uh, there was he was interviewing Joe Biden. Joe Biden had to go. Charlemagne said, "But wait, we have questions." Oh and yeah. Joe Biden said, "Hey, if you ain't black, if you if you're still deciding between Trump and me, then you ain't black." And right. it was I no big that. deal. Joe Biden apologized for that. There was a little bit of of anger about that, but no problem. But I, the, his Charlemagne statement, "We have questions," really, I thought was a, a call to action. We have questions, and they're not being answered. And so, I. I, I didn't write a letter and say, Hey, you should write a book with that. I outlined the book. I, cause mm. I said, I said, this was in May. The BLM movement was kind of at, at its peak or where it just started. And I was like, this, there's no, you know, a voice like yours. You have such a huge audience. You could be a real political leader. Like this, you could have a strong voice, um, that we have questions felt like a rallying cry to me and and felt like a strong title for a book. And here's questions I would ask. Like, I don't know these answers. They're naive white person questions. And uh, and then here's the little bit of research I did on each question to kind of see where you could go with answers or people you talk to or whatever. And you should write this book. And he wrote back and said, this is great. Can you help me with this? And I'm like, no, no, no. This is really just for you. Like, I, you, you, you have questions. <laughs> like, I don't need to, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't need to be involved. And it would be a little weird. And, and he's, we, we went back and forth and, and even up until the day that we were, he was going to start this, I was saying, I don't need to be involved. I just needed, I just wanted to help you out. But then I was the one he gathered about 15 different intellectuals, entertainers, whatever, from the African-American community. And then I was the one asking questions and audible, was putting all the resources behind this. Like we pitched to audible and I was just helping him pitch. I, even when I, we pitched it, I said, I'll just, I'll help you pitch. Cause I will explain it to them. But then one thing led to another, and now it's Charlemagne and me. We have the number seven selling nonfiction audiobook on audible today. So that's amazing. Yeah. So, so it's just like out of my mind, these ideas, and then not that my ideas are so great or anything. It's just that my ability to kind of do what you're saying, which is the arc of the hero. Like there's a problem, you know, and, and here's a hand given solution. Like I'm going to step you up the ladder of making this not so difficult to to solve. And that that sort of thing has led to so many opportunities in my life. It's ridiculous. Even when I was applying to graduate school, I wouldn't just apply. This is why 1989 comes up. I wouldn't just apply and say, Oh, I'm a good student. Please take me because I wasn't a good student. I really had to give, I had to, I had to find which professors at each school. I I read their, their latest academic papers. I read their research and I would say ideas I had that can contribute to their research and particularly at Carnegie Mellon, they were working on a computer called chip test. And I had very specific ideas. I knew what was this computer was doing. They were building the hardware. And I also knew that there's that the student who was working on chip test that had my skill set was getting his PhD and leaving. So I said, here's my ideas for chip test. And here's my skill set and I can help. And chip test. Later got to be called Deep Thought. Later got bought by IBM and was called Deep Blue. Later beat Garry Kasparov to win to the, the world chess champion and became the first computer to beat uh, the world chess champion. And hmm. uh, I think it was Murray Campbell was his name. I think was a uh, chess master who was getting his PhD and leaving for IBM. So he was gone. And so, and I had this idea of how a chess computer should skip a move every now and then to see if it loses. And that could be a good way to make a faster search. But anyway, um, that was the only graduate school that accepted me. And it was the best graduate school I applied to every other graduate huh. school. Cause I was not, I did not have good grades. So every other graduate school turned me down, but this one where I researched very specifically and offered a solution, uh, to many of their problems. Uh, and then, and then that was, they, they put me in the, my office mate was, was chip test later, deep blue. So, wow. and then IBM offered me a job for the same reasons, but I turned that one down. I love... I, those stories are fantastic.
2: Uh, I mean, I, I, I... So, I I mean, man, I don't know how to compare, but I will... My... One of my moments, I suppose, was when I was a community newspaper reporter, because uh, that's how I started out, in small town news, and I wanted to bridge into magazines, and I didn't, really, I didn't really know how, and I applied for this job at Boston Magazine, because I, I was working at a community newspaper in, in Massachusetts. And... So I didn't get the job. I, I, I went, I interviewed, and I wasn't qualified. I mean, I just wasn't qualified. I had no magazine experience. There was no reason to hire me for this job. Um, but they liked me because, you know, hopefully I'm likable. And so the editor-in-chief calls me and says, hey, you know, you didn't get the job. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, but look, it was really great. It was a great meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, let, let's stay in touch. And, you know, if you'd like, I'll put you in touch with the guy who did get the job. And, you know, I think a lot of people would not be interested in being in touch with the person who just beat them out for a job. But I said, great, because, you know, look, I understand. I, I, I'm a big fan of situational awareness. I was, we, we, one of my favorite phrases, situational awareness, know where you are, right? And I understood where I was. I understood that I was a community newspaper reporter with no magazine experience at all, trying to get a job at a magazine, and I had no connections. And if you are just willing to call me and say that it was nice to meet me, well, then I have succeeded, right? I've done something because this is the start. I've cracked the door open. So I say, yeah, of course. Send me that. Tell me who to reach out to. And so when when Jeff started as uh, as associate editor, and entrepreneur at, at at Boston Magazine, the job that I applied for, and uh, and um, I emailed Jeff immediately, and I was like, "Here are ten ideas." <laughs> you know, not like not again. Not ask for an opportunity. Be the opportunity. Right. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking. I'm not. What I'm not thinking is, uh, "Hey, Jeff." You just started out. Do you need a writer? I can be a writer, right? Because that's a he, he's not going to. That's not useful. But here's what I'm thinking: Jeff is just starting out. He doesn't have a ton of ideas because he just got to this magazine. I've got a bunch of ideas. I will send him non-stop ideas. I'll do whatever he needs. I will be the most useful person in his orbit. And 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 what a great time to start because he just showed up and he's got nobody else in his orbit. And uh, so he responded and. I can't remember what he did. I can't remember if he said yes to my ideas or or no or whatever he did. But it, but I got the door open, and I just kept sending ideas to the point where, over the course of the next like year and a half, I was in his section every single month. I, I wrote something every month, and and I and I went from being the guy who you could guarantee would just send you a bunch of ideas to the guy who would knock out of the park any idea that you had, right? So like whenever they're sitting around thinking, "Mm, I don't know who should I send this to, send it to Pfeiffer. He will do it. I will do anything. And and I would send these crazy things. I I went to a senior citizen dance and talked to people about getting STDs as senior citizens. That was so uncomfortable. Oh my God, that's such a great idea. (laughs) Yeah, but I did did it because it was, um, you know, and so um, my favorite story that I ever came up with uh, uh, over there, just this is a side note, but I'm just so proud of it. Like nobody's ever, going to read this thing anymore because it's so old so um all right so boston area code 617 right and here's a thing that people forget to do they forget to if you're at a big company you pick up the phone and you start dialing and you forget to hit nine uh to go for an outside line and so the first few numbers that you hit are going to call somebody's extension and then you're going to get You know, you're just going to get like whatever person has those extensions. And I just had a hunch that anybody who works in Boston at a large company who has the extension either 161. For at the beginning, one six one seven, whatever the number is, or six one seven, depending on how people dial, probably gets internal calls all day long for people yeah. who forget to dial nine. And, <laughs> um, and and I was like, I bet there's a funny story to be done with this. It's just all these people who suffer in silence because they got this extension that everyone accidentally dials, and they loved it. Right? They loved that story. And um, and so after a year and a half of this, of me just being like, I, like I just wait. Did they write I, that story? Story? yeah, I wrote that story. Yeah, and, I and and what were were there a lot of people who yes! had yes, yes. Every time I'd get on the phone with somebody, so what I would do is I just started calling companies and then just dialing that extension, <laughs> and then somebody would pick up, and then I would say, "Look, this is really weird. Um, my name's Jason. I'm writing a story for Boston Magazine. Um, I'm just I'm just wondering." Do you get calls all day long from people in your company who are accidentally dialing your extension except for, but they forgot because they forgot to dial nine? And every single time they burst out laughing because yes, they suffer with this and nobody has ever asked them about it. Nobody's ever thought to ask them about this. Did
0: did anyone get a random call and they end up getting married to the person who called them? Oh, that's, I wish. That would, that would have been, have been awesome.
2: That would have been amazing. <laughs> well, wait, what
0: did you, I was trying to think just now, what would yeah. be a good title for that? Like the worst extension to have in Boston, but then people don't know what extension means. Like what would you, what did you title that?
2: Oh, that's, I mean, it's been too long. It probably was something like that. It was probably like the bo, the most annoying phone extension in Boston or something like that. Uh, I, I can't remember what we called it. And I, there's no way for me to find it. That, or that, why, that was, or was,
0: why these people hate. Why these Bostoners hate six one seven as the area code? Or I'm just trying to think what would make me open that article.
2: Yeah, uh, I don't. I wish I could remember. Well, so first of all, the freelancer doesn't write the story. It doesn't write the headline. Yeah, Jeff. Jeff would have written the headline. Um, and and Jeff's good at it. Jeff's at GQ now, by the way. Uh, and um, and so I can't remember, but. But I I was, I mean, I was so proud of that. Like my goal was to show you, I was like, I, not only am I full of ideas, I'm full of ideas you would have never thought of, right? Like I never, never, ever thought of this except for me. And and so after a year and a half of this, Jeff tells me that a senior editor at the magazine has left and he is getting promoted to senior editor. And I know what this means. This means that 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 position is open up again, right? Like this position that I had applied for that he got he is now getting promoted, which means that the position is once again available. And so I start lobbying for it. I start lobbying the editor-in- chief, who at this point knows me very well because I'm in his magazine every month compared to a year and a half ago where I was like a random community newspaper reporter. and um, and, and his name is James. James is the editor-in-chief. And James Burnett, and James says, uh, and we have so many phone calls, and he's and he, he's very frank with me. He's like, look, you've been you've been a great contributor. Um, the thing that I'm, the thing, the thing that makes me nervous is that this is a editing job. You have no editing experience and you also haven't worked at a magazine. And I, and I, and I tried to convince him every way that I could that he, I, I, I would, I would be the right person for him to hire. And I just wasn't sure that I was getting through to him. So decided to put it all on the line. I quit my newspaper job in, in central Massachusetts. I moved out of my apartment in central Massachusetts. I got an expensive apartment down the block from Boston Magazine, and then I told James that I was ready for him to hire me. <laughs> and he 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 threw a couple more freelance pieces at me, um, bigger things to see what else I could do, right? And then he hired me. And
0: that's awesome. I that that's what made my career. Like that set me off on the path that I'm so, on. So right, it. being and people don't realize this. Not only does being the opportunity, you know, it literally can change your life, but There's no, it's not a scarce resource. You could be many opportunities. You Mm -hmm. could change your life in many ways. Uh, There's lots of things you can do. Like, and you kept doing it for Boston Magazine. And I'm sure that kind of helped you. Then that technique allowed you to step up the ladder. Now you're editor-in-chief at Entrepreneur Magazine. By the way, the article was called Wrong Number. Did you find it? Yeah. No. Yes? Yeah. (laughs) How did you find it? Is it, it still lives online? Yeah, it's in, um... I uh, hear. I'll 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 send you the link. Uh, it's it, it's in bostonmagazine.com, Two thousand seven, January twenty fourth, two thousand seven. There it is. Two days after my birthday, and <laughs> I will I, I will text it in the, in the chat here.
2: Wow, that's amazing. I haven't seen this thing probably since two thousand seven. Yeah, I didn't even know it was All still number. online.
0: And and, so and it's it good because this was like a short piece. Like you 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 had to do short pieces, so you're just identifying. Right. What what you're doing here is you're identifying the issue that's the story and uh there wasn't really room to say and then elliot yaffa got married to one of the people (laughs) like there wasn't a way to really go into it but uh it's a good story i just i just skimmed it but
2: (laughs) thanks oh yeah that's (laughs) right and i forgot right the so it's called wrong number then the and then the deck or the subhead is called the perils of boston's worst phone extension so we were not that off but the, the way i started it yeah just It's tough not to take it personally. You start a new job, your coworkers ring your phone and then hang up all day long, Uh, right? So that's what would happen. People would call and then they'd immediately realize that they forgot to dial nine and then they would hang up. And so (laughs) these people get calls all the time. Oh, it was such a good idea. I I don't know that I can top that idea. Yeah,
0: that's that's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Jason, this has been so great. The arc of the hero in negotiation and, again, career development in moving up a hierarchy by... Being the opportunity, every rung of the ladder. I probably mixed seventy me- metaphors there, but uh, <laughs> Metaphor it's too. so true. It's like people know people who do this know it, it is life changing. This is what you need to do, and yes. uh, and you you know I'm sure you've seen this many times too, just in the entrepreneurs you cover at Entrepreneur Magazine. This is this is how they do it: negotiation, idea pitching, sales, asking for a raise. Even you mm-hmm. you make the boss the reluctant hero, he's reluctant to give you a raise, but you tell him what his problems are and they're going to get worse if you don't get that raise somehow. And then solves the come back to tell the story and you get yeah. the raise. So That's right. Jason, I really appreciate you, you coming on the podcast once again. And like we said earlier, you're, you're always welcome on the podcast. Oh, so uh, Jay, let's schedule Jason for next month. Got, <laughs> when, when, when's your, when are you doing more episodes of, um, The, your, your other podcast
2: Uh, built for tomorrow, uh, it comes out. No, no, no. Um,
0: uh, what are you, I, I think you explained this to me, but are you doing the other one where it's like, um, uh, hush,
2: hush money with Nicole? Yeah. Uh, if we are not for a long time, um, because Nicole, Nicole just got just Nicole just started a daily show.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) On, on which channel?
2: uh, On iHeart. She got a, she did it. She started, she's starting a daily podcast on iHeart about, uh, about like personal finance.
0: Oh great! Good for yeah. her.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good. So she's got, and she's got, you know, like she's got the Daily Show and and like a seven book deal or some crazy thing. And um,
0: a and, seven book deal. Yeah,
2: yeah. Nicole wow. like swung for the fences and hit it.
0: She uh, she goes for it, and I remember when her employer. This is like, gosh, this is like twelve years ago, thirteen years ago. Her employer at the time, who I won't mention was really trying to prevent her from doing these other things like book deals and stuff like that. They didn't, they didn't want, you know, I remember one time this is sort of related to everything. I remember one time, uh, I was writing articles for the wall street journal, but I wasn't an employee. I was a columnist and the editor in chief of the wall street journal at the time asked me to breakfast and he said, listen, I have this big problem. All my employees, this is like 2007. All my employees are starting to get big on Twitter. And like all the reporters right. are starting to get big on Twitter and they're starting to ask for more money. Mm-hmm. I don't want them to be big on Twitter. You know, like how do I keep them? Should I prevent them from going on Twitter? And like that was the mentality. And yeah. to some extent, that's always the mentality of bosses. They don't want the employees to shine. They want the brand to shine. They mm-hmm. don't realize that brands, corporate brands, are are disappear, are dissolving into a collections of personal brands. And
1: that's, right.
0: that's really important to know, which maybe people know more now than in two thousand seven, but I always thought that was just a strange reason for him to ask me to breakfast. Just that to, is a
2: very com- strange reason. Yeah,
0: complain uh, about his his reporters actually being famous for the work they do.
2: <laughs> did you so, do you feel like you? I assume I, I I can I can assume the position you took. Did you do you feel like you convinced him to let his? Well, reporters- well,
0: my my response there is to not laugh in his face. Although I laughed later, but <laughs> my my response to these things is always to say I see the problem. Right. Um, but you know, maybe it's a good thing that their work is so good that they're getting renowned for it. And I don't know what you do about the salary thing, but, uh, you know, maybe reframe how you're thinking about their fame. Cause they're famous because of the work of people are loving the wall street journal because of their work they're doing. And right. so that's why they're also seeing what they have to say on, on Twitter. I, you know, try not to view it as a bad thing, but I don't know what to do about the salary. I, I see your problem. You know, you have a limited budget, so I don't know.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's I, I. That's I think that's really good advice, and it's it's funny. I mean, he was dealing. He was struggling against a a, sh- a shift in power, but he didn't realize that. Of course, every shift can be can, comes with. Every shift is, is has a mixed result, and I mean, for me personally, I mean, I don't put this on the podcast We're still rolling, but I assume I'm not going to. No, no, this. I'm going
0: to put this on the podcast. Oh, so, are you? So be careful what you say. Yeah. Oh,
2: okay. All right. Well, in that case, um, so, um, uh, well, I guess I'll still tell you. So, um, uh, so I, you know, so I'm an entrepreneur, which I'm a, I, am I, I get a salary. I'm an employee of entrepreneur, um, and I, and entrepreneur has been very, very. Um, very open in letting me pursue other things that make me money. So I, when I go and I speak, I, I make that money. Um, uh, right. Like an entrepreneur doesn't make that money. I mean, they can sell me and I've done it right. The big companies will book me through them and then entrepreneur gets the money. That's fine. Uh, but, but I also book myself and I get the money uh, and I represent entrepreneur at the same time. So they're getting it. But I think that the reason I've never had this conversation with them, but, um, but I think the reason that they're very happy to do that is because, frankly, they don't have to. They don't have to keep like upping my salary significantly because because
0: uh, uh, being yeah, being that's at
2: the, being that's at a solution. entrepreneur, yeah, it's a solution, and I'm happy. So, see, with it. It's a great it's a it's a great relationship. I don't care about a raise at entrepreneur. I don't I don't care about a raise at entrepreneur because the relationship at entrepreneur creates so much market opportunity for me elsewhere that that's
0: more significant than a raise that I could get at entrepreneur. I'm happy to have that. That's fine. I should have given an answer that included something like that, which is that Encourage them to go outside and get more opportunities and yes. because of their new found fame. Right. That would have been the real complete answer. But you're you're an editor-in-chief. Yeah. He's an editor-in-chief, so you 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 know. So, so I was yeah. Because yeah. he's right, but,
2: because he's worried he's worried about or he was worried about a loss of power at the journal. But you know, that's not that's not the full story. There's still the the journal is social proof that these reporters really need, and they can build their own brands and be good for the journal too, and be good for themselves. You just have to start thinking about your relationship with your employees in a different way. And I understand that that can be hard, but that can be really beneficial for everybody. And I love that that's the relationship that I have an entrepreneur.
0: The the one thing I was thinking too was, and this, this, this happens in every transition in generations is that maybe cause he wasn't using Twitter really, maybe he were, was worried that he wasn't relevant and they were becoming more relevant than him, even mm. though he was the boss. So he, they were stepping out of the hierarchy to find relevance, but still using the wall street journal as the vehicle. And so maybe he felt threatened a little bit too. And that was, there was like, maybe there was a deeper story. So I was wondering that in my head at the time. So I think that, that confused me as to the, as to how to answer. That's interesting. Yeah. And I was always maybe a little too diplomatic then, you know, because I was writing for them and I wanted to write more and and so on. So, but (laughs) anyway, that's neither here nor there. Jason, once again, yeah. uh, <laughs> well, good I'm, stuff. Yeah, this is like the after party that we just Yeah, did, exactly. And, where I, where uh, I shared
2: something that I don't think that I was supposed to share publicly, but whatever, I think it's fine.
0: <laughs> it's no, fine. no, that's, that's cool. They, I'm sure they'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you're fired next week. Right. Um, but- in any case, uh, come on the podcast again next month, and uh, we'll we'll hang out again. This is the only that way I hang great. out with people now. I do. <laughs> on so like, oh, the podcast.
2: It's a great way to do it. Well, uh, yeah. well, James, look, I always a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate you having me on. Yeah, and we'll talk Stay soon. here.
0: Yeah, thanks.
1: Sometimes it takes a different approach